The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney along with my co-host, Lisa Bromowitz. Each day we bring you the most noteworthy and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find a Bloomberg PL podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as at Bloomberg.com. Fascinating numbers that came out today absolutely blew away any and all projections by U.S. economists and frankly raised a lot of questions given the anecdotal data that we keep getting. Tom, what did you make of this information? I think a lot of it's the PPP money. I think if I, if I read the data correctly in the report that a lot of the people coming back or a decent percentage were, furlough, were the furloughed folks, which means – listen, beggars can't be choosers. We're, we're adding people – to work who weren't working, but these aren't newly created jobs. They're old jobs bringing people back, which is a positive sign. And to look at it any other way is crazy. And we should be very optimistic from this number. So interesting, Tom. It's um, I think no matter there are some nuances in this number, Tom. But is this signal to you kind of at the very least setting a bottom for the employment picture? Well, I'm not necessarily sure about that. I think for the short term, meaning 60 days, it's probably a bottom. But what we've got to see is what happens in the end of the third quarter and early fourth quarter. If the airline travel doesn't pick up and the airlines lay people off and hotels uh, don't continue to grow, if, if we do get another spike from COVID and what happens in that regard um, to working in the, in the restaurant service space, I think we could have a, a, another big, big hit. Tom, I, I think it's fascinating to get your view. I know you've been more optimistic than a lot of economists have over the past months and years when we've had you on and always added really good perspective. Right now, you sound less optimistic than a lot of people are when they take a look at these numbers. What are you seeing on the ground that's making you less optimistic? So what's happened in a, in a, in a true recession, which I believe we're in, is companies stop hiring in volume. They have key hires they need to make, and they may get a new project and they bring people on, but there isn't growth for future. Is, they are, isn't hiring for future growth because they believe they're going to need it. And that belief is what's been fueling this bull market for 10 years, is that companies keep thinking it's going to get stronger and better, and it has been. And now what we've seen uh, is companies are not hiring in volume. We're not seeing sales hiring, which is a really big indicator. When companies are building up their sales force, it means they're anticipating that there'll be more revenue growth, and that leads to other areas of the business. Not seeing that in volume. A few hires here and there, but again, not in volume, and that gives me some concern. And then temporary staffing, which we have a large business practice in that area, is usually a leading indicator. And it's not, it's not as terrible as the search business, but it definitely isn't starting to grow at the rapid volume that we've seen over the past 10 and really past 20 years. So I'm a little bit apprehensive. And then the liquidity issue is what's going to happen after the PPP money rolls off and companies don't have to keep their employees anymore. And if revenues aren't there, whether it's due to COVID whether it's due to social unrest, 
is are we going to have a situation where companies have there's more bankruptcies? Tom, this is an incredibly important conversation, frankly. What you are telling me finally is giving me some light. I've had so many questions this morning. This was one of the most confusing data dumps I have ever seen in my life. And even yeah. with the PPP uh, taken into account, as Matt Bosler of Bloomberg News was just talking about, that still would only bring, not only, I mean, it's still catastrophic, but it would bring the unemployment rate up to about 16%, still well below consensus. So is it that the market is better than people expected, but not as necessarily good as the headline numbers here imply, or is it closer to what people had expected? We just aren't seeing that level of actual layoffs just yet. Well, what we've seen is, is that the service level can only get hit so hard. It's th- that's the difference between restaurants and hospitality versus white collar is if the restaurants lay everybody off, which is what essentially has happened, there is no more cutting. If you have a company, a Fortune 500 company that's done layoffs, like a, a Boeing or, who, or an airline or whomever else, they're not laying off the entire company. And that's what the restaurants have done for the most part. And so what we see now is there, there really isn't that much more room to go on the service side, on the hospitality side. So now it is, does part two of the real white-collar layoffs. We've had them, but we haven't had, if you eliminated all the service jobs, and you just had the white-collar layoffs, it wouldn't be anywhere nearly as catastrophic. We'd probably be sitting at 7.5% unemployment, and it wouldn't be that bad. So, Tom, do you expect that? Is that something, as you kind of survey some of the companies that you're in touch with, do you expect kind of more white-collar, office-level type of uh, layoffs across the economy coming up? Well, that'll be the really interesting thing, and we have to see. I mean, to me, that's the difference between the V-curve versus the U or the L-curve. Of, of does things, do things bounce back. Now, the one opportunistic or, or optimistic, both probably, is, is the strength of the stock market, is seeing that the market is saying we're looking at companies from the long term, we're not looking at them month over month or even in the quarter, that we're saying who's a strong company and will they be strong at the end of this year and the early part of next year. And that lends me to believe that companies are going to have the liquidity to be able to hire people. So there is optimism on that. But I think all of the BLS numbers, until we get into the July report the first week in August, are a little bit of smoke and mirrors to really see how things level off sans the PPP. All right. So looking forward, there is a question about whether this report, given how much better than expected it was, whether it reduces the pressure on Congress to pass additional fiscal and, and, and uh, stimulus, whether it, it takes the pressure off the Federal Reserve to keep its bazooka wide open. I'm totally conflating different metaphors there. <laughs> I'm just wondering, though, from your perspective, how worried you are about that? I 100% think that we should not do any more stimulus at the time being. I think I think the government uh, overshot, quite frankly. Now, I'm not I'm not crit- being critical of it from the standpoint of, in a, in a catastrophe, you have to do things at the moment, and it's easy to have 2020 hindsight. But writing the check to everybody who makes under 75,000, employed or unemployed, really wasn't necessary. And what we saw was that company, people wanted to have jobs and companies needed to have jobs. And the, the real challenge we're going to face in part two or part three, however you look at it, is the federal stimulus on the unemployment and people who are making more money being unemployed in these service jobs than when they go back to work. That's where the dynamic's going to be felt come July. All right. So, Tom, we've had differing states have 
different kind of uh, schedules for reopening their economies. Are we seeing any regional impact on employment data that might re- reflect that? You know what, I'd be frank with you, I haven't had a chance to study that that much, but I do think that, that from what, who I've been talking to, CEOs and finance and HR leaders in the, in the southern, below the Mason-Dixon line, that it really is two different economies. And we're seeing that those, those areas, geographically speaking, are much more prone to be proactive um, and optimistic versus, versus the, northern, the northern states. Just real quick here, Tom Gimbel, before we let you go, is there any white-collar sector that you are most concerned about from here that you expect would suffer the first or the next round of, of layoffs? Here's the really interesting thing. For this recession versus the last two where I was running a business in 01 and, and 08 and 09, is this isn't sector-focused. It's company-focused across all sectors so you could have a, a, an airline that actually ends up being okay and and the majority of others that are that are in the toilet and that could be for every single company i'm seeing it in insurance and technology and manufacturing that that many companies aren't doing great but there's a few outliers that really are doing well so but if i had to put my finger on it i would say that that a lot of technology-based companies i think you're going to see if things don't pick up are going to be laying people off because their profits are lagging and they don't have the a lot of them don't have the funding to go out and just hire people and that's a real interesting dynamic to non-profitable companies that exist in the tech space. Hey Tom, thanks so much for joining us on this historic Jobs Friday. Tom Gimble, founder and CEO of LaSalle a Network based in Chicago, breaking down those numbers. Joining us now is someone with incredible history just surveying the ground and the research in every aspect of the economy. Danielle DiMartino Booth, Chief Executive Officer and Chief Strategist at Quill Intelligence, also a Bloomberg Opinion columnist who spent years at the Dallas Federal Reserve as an advisor there. She is joining us from Dallas. Danielle, as you parse into the numbers that we got today showing that the jobless rate actually declined, even though it had been expected to increase, what's your main takeaway about the strength of the U.S.? economy? You know, my biggest takeaway is that if you look at the continuing claims number and you compare that to the size of the workforce, you get to 13.1%. And so this is bizarrely, surreally, I I mean, truly, I I was one of the people who said typo. Uh, It's (laughs) it's kind of reflective of where the U.S. economy is right now uh, with 13.1% of the population collecting unemployment benefits at the moment. Um, my other takeaway was that the BLS's error uh, is equivalent to what the unemployment rate was a few months ago. They're, they're saying possibly 3% distortion in the unemployment rate. I think that's where we were back in February. So it's just, this is really incredible data to see. I think you have to keep your focus on the weeds right now, look at what companies are doing, not what the data are saying, because it's obviously completely thrown off by many different factors. And that's what I try and do. I try and pay attention to what individual companies are doing around the country on a daily basis. So, Danielle, I mean, as President Trump was just saying in the Rose Garden, he, from his perspective, he believes that the worst is over and that, you know, America's on its way back. Does a data point like this, you know, kind of confirm that? Or again, are you going to step back and maybe look at a lot more data at the more granular level? Uh, I'm going to keep focusing on granularity. Uh, Bloomberg put out a 
a great report this week that showed that the next wave of higher income paying jobs could be up to six million. Um, and you know, I've just been following the past few days. And whether you're talking about AK Steel or AutoNation or um, Stitch Fix, which was a, a, a unicorn in San Francisco laying off 20 percent of its of its workforce, Carpenter Technology in Philadelphia, 20 percent of its workforce, um, and another, you know, Perella Weinberg, 7 percent tied to deal making, Lazy Boy, 10 percent of its workforce, um, Saber, the software technology company for, for for the global travel industry, 800 in addition to the 400 in committed voluntary early retirements. I'm talking about the last 48 hours. Yeah. Danielle, so if you're focused on the granularity, I'm wondering what you're seeing on the ground in the daily and weekly statistics that we're getting. And I'm wondering if you could compare that with the headline figure from the jobs report. In other words, you know, people are saying it's a typo, it's an error, they question the data, but are there obvious discrepancies or is this just very explainable uh, classification issues with the PPP program and other issues that will come to the fore over time, but the bottom line takeaway here is that the labor market isn't as bad as many people expected. Well, I think that that is, is, is partially mathematical. We are going to have mathematically, we are going to have a tremendous uh, improvement in the numbers in going forward, regardless of what area of the economy you're, you're talking about, because we have to come off the bottom. We can't stay on the bottom and reopen at the same time. It, they're diametrically opposed. We, we've seen the same phenomena in Italy. We've seen a tremendous decline in their unemployment rate, for example. So we're going to have this happen. But if you look at Google Trends on unemployment insurance searches, that is completely flatlined, meaning it's no longer improving. If you look at people's intentions, fresh data out of Cox Automotive this morning, people are saying that they're going to delay uh, car purchase for the first time since early March. It's, it's popped right back up to the highs. So we are reopening, but my question is going to be, once we get past the less bad, what is the follow-through going to look like? And I think that that is a great unknown, but in real-time data, we are starting to see weakness reemerge despite the reopening of the, of, of the economy. So where do you think that's going to leave Congress, Danielle? I mean, we do have uh, uh, some more fiscal stimulus kind of winding its way through Congress. Doesn't seem to be a lot of... Uh, I guess, you know, impetus to get this thing done quickly. Where do you think the next step is going to be from Congress in terms of stimulus? Well, you know, there's the irony, right? You've got potential legislation being proposed to have a job credit to pay people to come back into the workforce because so many are collecting more with this additional $600 a week. Small business owners that have reopened are like, I can't get my employees back. By the same token, what kind of extra incentive do we have now to pass this legislation now that the president has informed the country that it's not a V-shaped recovery but a rocket ship? So why do you go back to the, to the drawing board and say that we need to, to put more stimulus into this economy if it's fully recovered? So going forward, what are you watching in order to determine how much uh, some of the labor market is declining? I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm, I, I'm a bit speechless just because this has been such a fast-moving uh, labor market and economic recession that it's hard to pinpoint the numbers, and the data has been all over the place. I mean, some people could say that there is discrepancy with the state and local claims in part because of processing issues there, so perhaps this is a more comprehensive number. What are you looking for to confirm your view that, yes, the labor market is weak, and yes, there was a bit of an improvement, but it appears to be plateauing? 
So I'm, I'm actually following, I'm, I'm trying to be as stringent as I possibly can with data. I'm looking for permanence. And I actually checked in with Challenger Gray and Christmas yesterday just to confirm that what they report, which has seemed surreally low compared to some of the large numbers we're seeing, but they did confirm that they only report permanent layoffs. So we're at 1.4 million or so uh, since this whole thing has started. The highest level in history is almost 2 million. It looks like we'll get there by July or so. So I'm going to continue to watch things like bankruptcy filings. Uh, These are companies that are going away and not coming back. I'm going to continue to watch permanent layoffs. I'm going to stay in the weeds and, and continue to run my Twitter polls and asking people what they're actually doing if they're if they're truly I am ready to go back and spend like I used to spend or if this reticence remains. So I I think the weeds are going to be the right place to be because it's so difficult to follow data when everything, every economics textbook in the world tells you that, that the unemployment rate is the most lagging of all economic indicators. And yet it led coming right out of the gate because we shut the economy down. So the old rules don't apply if unemployment is leading us into recession. So, Danielle, as you look at your GDP model, and your, obviously uh, employment is a big, big factor in it, does the data we got today materially change kind of your outlook for how the rest of this year and into next year is going to un- unfold in terms of kind of the economic growth? Well, I mean, at this point, you could you could take a guess. I mean, it, there's no methodology today because my methodology has been thrown out the window. But if I was to throw spaghetti on the wall and see if it sticks, I would say maybe the second quarter is not going to be as bad as some of the most dire predictions out there. If you look at the, at the spectrum of Bloomberg consensus estimates, um, but that by that same token, again, if you're seeing reticence and if you're seeing higher income paying job growth come down, um, then you're going to see a more sclerotic third and fourth quarter growth than what's being anticipated based on the original kind of we're going to see a U-shaped recovery. So one of the things I'm following the most closely, I suggest you do as well, is every Thursday in the Bloomberg Consumer Comfort data, I've been following those who make seventy-five to $99,000 a year. Their confidence, unlike overall uh, the Consumer Comfort headline, has yet to come back. It's continued to tick down week after week, and that would indeed reflect whether or not we're seeing higher income paying job, job losses. Danielle, just to wrap this all up, I know you follow the consumer credit space very carefully. And one thing that I found uh, surprisingly positive is the lack of the increase in defaults and delinquencies that many people had expected. And one of the reasons why is because people said the enhanced unemployment benefits, the checks that everyone got mailed that who earned uh, less than $75,000 helped pad out the resources. How much do you think that has been a cushion against losses in consumer credit versus actual strength and rehiring that we uh, saw hinted at with this jobs report? Oh, look, I- I'm going to use the president's favorite word here. I think it's been tremendous. <laughs> um, look, it, it, we, we have seen the we, we've seen an arresting in subprime auto delinquencies because, again, uh, one in five people receiving unemployment benefits are making double what they made before. We've seen, obviously, the, 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 the forbearance on mortgages. But even though we've still got nearly 9% of all mortgages in forbearance, you haven't seen that play out because they put a hold on, people's, on that being reflected in people's credit reports. We haven't seen, uh, we haven't seen evictions go up. We haven't seen, you know, renters are not in major distress. Again, this stimulus has been extremely powerful for the lowest income earners in America, more than two-thirds of whom right. are bringing in more than they did prior to this. 
Danielle, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your thoughts and comments. Danielle DiMartino, Booth, CEO and Chief Strategist for Quill Intelligence. Markets are ripping on the back of that jobs number. Let's see where the real action is. Uh, we welcome Bloomberg Stocks Editor Dave Wilson, as well as Matt Bosler. He's a Bloomberg Fed reporter. We'll get his thoughts on these jobs numbers. Dave, what are you looking at right here? Oh, really? I mean, if you want to understand what's going on today, here, here's one way you can frame it. Best performing of the 11 main industry groups in the S&P 500 by far is energy. Of course, you're talking about an economically sensitive sector there. And so, you know, if oil prices are going up, you figure that it's not great for the likes of airlines and cruise lines and, you know, other companies that, you know, that they use fuels. They are going to be facing higher costs down the line. Forget that. I mean, you look, you see American shares up 22.5% after rising 41% yesterday. You see Carnival and Norwegian among the best performers. Royal Caribbean, too. So those are your three cruise line stocks in the S&P 500, all up at least 13.5%. So, you know, this is really a market where, given what we saw on the jobs front, people are figuring the economy's coming around, that people are going to want to spend, that they're going to take the plane trips and the cruises down the line that they have been putting off because of the coronavirus. So yeah. put it all together. I mean, it's, it's a, a market that's showing real strength here. And let's just give some perspective on what's driving this. The expectation was for seven and a half million jobs to be lost in this May non-farm payrolls report. Instead, there was a 2.5 million jobs gain. And I want to dig into what we actually were seeing, Matt. Come on in here. Some people saying, how did Wall Street economists get this so wrong based on the anecdotal evidence coming out of states, coming out of federal official data sources? Yeah, so there are definitely some important caveats to note with this report, some of which the BLS actually did note in the text of the release they put out. Um, I think the biggest one is that um, there might have been a classification issue wherein, um, you know, uh, some people who were should have been classified as unemployed and on temporary layoff were actually classified as employed but absent from work for various reasons. And so the BLS says that the unemployment rate actually would have been about three percentage points higher than reported if those people had been classified correctly. And so that would have, uh, you know, manifested in an increase in the unemployment rate in May to something like 16.3%. So that's, um, you know, definitely an increase, but still well below uh, the 19% uh, median estimate in our survey. So um, you know, definitely a better than expected report nonetheless, although maybe not quite as good as, as that headline number indicates. Matt, how do you think the U.S. Federal Reserve is going to look at this number? So I think the Fed for the moment is pretty resigned to, um, you know, a long and slow recovery here. And so this doesn't really bring interest rates into play, obviously. But uh, one interesting thing to note about the Fed is that they're actually going to be putting out, presumably, uh, forecast for the unemployment rate for the first time since before this pandemic began uh, next Wednesday when they announced their um, policy decision. So we're going to get the first look at how they're kind of looking at this labor market situation going forward. So far in public comments, uh, they've been pretty vague and talking about just all of the uncertainty. So it'll be interesting to see what numbers they actually finally do put down to paper here. All I can say, Matt, is that somebody cutting the lawn behind you? 
Uh, that's me. That's, that's me. you. But <laughs> yes. it actually it actually adds to the whole uh, moment of time. People getting back to work, back, mowing the lawns, <laughs> and getting things uh, back up in order. I'm wondering, uh, you know, just from your perspective, Dave, whether what we saw out of this jobs report confirms the optimism that the market has been expressing. In other words, we're seeing the narrative shift from markets are divorced from reality to markets got it right and economists got it wrong. Is that correct? Well, I mean, you'd be hesitant to do it off just, you know, a couple of sets of of data here. I mean, that said, you you have to remember that the stock market is always forward looking. I mean, that's the idea. You can't buy last quarter's profits. You can only buy next quarter's and the Uh quarter after that. And the focus has been on 2021 uh, in terms of perhaps uh, when people are expecting earnings to rebound. It certainly shows up in the estimates for S&P 500 profit that we've compiled from analysts. You know, you don't start to see renewed growth until next year. That said, uh, you know, people are anticipating that uh, you're going to get some kind of a recovery in the second half. And, you know, if maybe things aren't so bad this quarter and the recovery comes sooner or is stronger than people are anticipating, you know, you put it all together. And at the very least, you can understand why investors have taken the position they have, even in the face of all the economic data they had seen before <laughs> the jobs report. Hey, Matt, do you think this uh, jobs number brings the V-shaped recovery discussion back on the table? You know, that's a really interesting question. One of the things I've been thinking about this morning is one thing we did see was that the unemployment rate for white Americans fell, but the unemployment rate for black Americans actually still rose. And so it's kind of widening that gap. And, you know, one of the things we've been talking about in terms of the V-shaped recovery and whether that's going to be possible is, is the response from Congress here. And so... Uh, so far, it's it kind of looked like Congress is really dragging their feet on the next um, phase of some sort of potential stimulus or income support. And I just wonder if, you know, given all the unrest we're seeing, if those kinds of numbers, those disparities that are being reinforced in this report, even though it was better than expected, might provide some, you know, additional impetus for that kind of congressional response. And if that's the case, maybe it does perhaps raise the odds of a quicker snapback. But I think absent that sort of response from Congress, we're still looking at a situation where um, it's going to be hard to bring these numbers down quickly, because even though you've got people reopening, uh, people going back to work, there's still that crucial question of consumer psychology um, and how long that's going to take a toll on some of these sectors like leisure and hospitality, where people you know, may not be willing to, to go out and, and spend at restaurants so quickly, given these lingering concerns we're going to be having about the virus going forward. We're speaking with Matt Bosler, who covers the Fed for us here at Bloomberg, as well as Dave Wilson, Bloomberg Stocks editor. And as we speak, markets ripping higher on the heels of that way better than expected employment report. The expectation were seven and a half million jobs lost. Instead, there were two and a half million jobs gained, although we are grappling to understand the classifications underneath this. Bank stocks soaring. You're looking at the S&P up 2.2%, uh, 3,181 points. Meanwhile, the Nasdaq 
is up by 1.6%. Again, that rotation is into the cyclicals, not necessarily the, quote, havens, which have been big tech. Matt, I want to dig a little bit deeper here in terms of how long-lasting this optimism can possibly be and the reclassification of some of the employers uh, who allowed employees to stay on the payroll because of the PPP loans. How long do we have for that? How much can we really depend on that to be the reality for the longer term and cushion any further job cuts going forward? Yeah, so we have a story out on the terminal this morning about, um, you know, looking at uh, employment and uh, sort of the the bailout package that was passed in March. It's important to keep in mind that, you know, those PPP loans uh, to cover payrolls were really only for small businesses, which account for 40-some percent of, uh, you know, overall employment in this country, whereas um, you know, more than half of employment is in large companies that did not receive any sort of grants or uh, payroll support uh, to keep employees on the payroll. And I think what we're seeing from a lot of those larger companies is that they are announcing these big layoffs. And even some of the companies that took money uh, directly from Treasury, like the airlines, with employment strings attached, those strings are only attached until September 30th, and then some of those have announced that they're planning to do layoffs after that as well. And so um, this is kind of a tricky situation where uh, we, we may have, uh, you know, some, some issues with cascading job losses that aren't necessarily showing up right away in these numbers, and we still unfortunately have to wait for those to come over the coming months. And so, again, that really just underscores um, the need for some sort of uh, game plan here and coordination to to prevent that from happening. And so um, the other thing that uh, people are looking at is these weekly jobless claims data that we're getting. Uh, we saw yesterday in the latest report that, you know, another 1.9 million people uh, filed for initial claims even this far into this at the end of May. And so those numbers are just so huge. Um, and they don't look like they're really going down anytime soon. That's going to keep overall unemployment high, uh, ostensibly for the foreseeable future here. Dave Wilson, you know, as I think, as I look at this market, another 2% move higher here, and that's in the face of, you know, really ugly earnings uh, revisions on the downside here. Are we starting to get some valuation concerns coming off of Wall Street? Are strategists saying, boy, this market from a valuation standpoint is getting ahead of itself? Well, there are certainly a number of strategists, you know, looking at things like uh, forward price earnings ratios, where you're you're looking at projected profit rather than historical earnings and saying, look, I mean, you're back to where you were, you know, near the highs in 2000. So that becomes an issue uh, for some investors anyway. I mean, others kind of justify, you know, looking at the potential for a rebound here, you know, in earnings that would kind of bring down uh, the ratio. And and that's, you know, a a potential going forward. I mean, analyst estimates have kind of figured in the worst at this point. And if uh, what we're seeing on the economic front kind of carries over in terms of uh, companies' results, then maybe they have to go back and kind of redo the numbers there in terms of what they're anticipating on earnings. So, I mean, are the concerns there? Sure there are. Uh, Is it possible that those concerns may be, you know, mitigated by what we're seeing on the economic front? I mean, that's looking like a possibility as well.
Let's talk about the bank stocks. They're ripping higher. I'm looking at an S&P sub-index of financials. They're up more than 4% today, and it's the biggest one-day gain uh, since April, since early April. I'm trying to understand if this is just a yield curve bet with the 210 spread at the highest since 2018, seeing a similar kind of widening in the 530 spread. Is that really what this is, or is it also optimism that perhaps there will not be necessarily consumer defaults, delinquencies, and business will actually pick up? One kind of gets you to the other to some extent. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the idea that what we're seeing in the bond market is a reflection of what the jobs numbers are suggesting about the economy. And if indeed that holds up, and this is not just some one-month wonder, then, you know, consumers may well be in a better position than they were before in terms of being able to keep up payments, uh, in terms of being willing to spend more. And as, you know, all kinds of businesses open up, uh, as a res- you know, result of the easing of the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, there's a potential for more business down the line coming out of that. So, you know, it- it's kind of a both and as opposed to an either or in terms of, you know, what's uh, being reflected in the financial stocks at this point. Hey, Matt, I'm just wondering, you know, it's again, this better than expected job number. We're going to have President Trump in moments doing a victory lap, a well-deserved victory lap for this uh, number here, uh, followed up by uh, Larry Kudlow with John Farrow. What does that mean for the folks in Congress? Does that reduce the odds of getting this next round of stimulus, even though the need still may very well be there, as you listen to Governor Cuomo talk about the need for stimulus at the state and local level? You know, this is really just a multi-trillion dollar question, I think, right? Because um, like you said, you know, there's some cross currents here. We're getting some mixed signals. And I think one of the interesting things about what we're seeing in the economy and the stock market is that, um, you know, we've kind of been really holding out hope since the beginning of this pandemic that, um, you know, things would turn out okay and maybe better than expected. There's so much uncertainty right now. um, And we don't really know much about, um, you know, the nature of the virus itself. Um, and so that kind of, you know, leads us to be able to, to hold out for hope. You know, it's, I, I just remember back to mid-March when um, initially the lockdowns were going to be two weeks and then um, they were extended another two weeks uh, after that. And we just kind of kept extending things uh, every two weeks. And now we're in a situation where a lot of us are, you know, maybe going back to eat at a restaurant for the first time in several months. And so that makes us feel good and, you know, gives us some optimism. But um we, we definitely have some key uh, milestones uh, or, or flag posts, I think, coming up here. Um, the, the next big one for the economy is um, these extended or expanded unemployment insurance benefits that are set to expire at the end of July. So that's going to be a big, yep. um, you know, potential flashpoint uh, for, for Congress to debate and, and keep an eye on that will determine how things go going forward. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your thoughts. Matt Bosler, Bloomberg Fed reporter. Also, Bloomberg Stocks Editor Dave Wilson, thanks so much for your color here on this very strong jobs report and very strong equity market. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. I'm Lisa Abramowitz. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.